Brethren, we are truly living in momentous times. You know, Dr. Meredith uh, spoke the first evening, as you might remember, the first night of the feast, and he spoke of the times ahead and the frightening times ahead. It's no use kidding ourselves. You know, this world is going to go through some uh, tremendous times, convulsive situations for sure. Uh, We are witnessing, of course, uh, sadly, the decline of the U.S. power, uh, the Anglo-Saxon peoples around the world, and also respect for those people around the world. Just this week, uh, I read an article from a website called globalresearch.ca, dated September the 30th this year, 2014. And it was titled, uh, it's titled De-Dollarization. I'll just quote here. Europe and China start direct trading in euros and yuan. Uh, go on, it goes on to say, Russia and China slowly but surely attempt to isolate the U.S. on the heels of Western pressure, uh, such as the events in the Ukraine, etc. Russia and China were forced closer together and de-dollarization accelerated from Turkey to Argentina as an increasing number of countries around the world realize the importance of this chart or the way it's going. However, things are about to get even more dramatic. As Bloomberg reports, China will start direct trading between the yuan and the euro tomorrow as the world's second largest economy seeks to spur global use of its currency it's a fresh step toward forward uh, in China's one in internationalization. So many believe, brethren, that the U.S. dollar is in decline and it will not be the sort, main source of trading currency in, in the years ahead, maybe the months ahead, who knows. But according to Bible prophecy, brethren, you know, Europe, uh, the beast power led by Germany, will eventually make the world wonder in amazement. They will wonder in amazement, as, the, as God's word says. A great combine of church and state will arise, a resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. Revelation 13, of course, and other chapters uh, talk about that and discuss that, of this great beast, as we know. You know, merchants of the world will be impressed with the power of the military and the economic union and, and, and religious combine, of course, led by Satan the devil at that time. I'm reading a book, still reading it. It takes me a long time because I don't know about you, but sometimes I have two or three or four books. I can never seem to get through a book. But this book that I'm reading, I mentioned to a, a few of you along the way, it's called The Death of Money. It's about the collapse of the international money system. And it was written by a man named James Rickards, very well-known, very respected man in those circles, especially in the United States. And he writes, uh, actually in Chapter 5, he titled it, The the New German Reich. It's amazing. When I got to that chapter, my my eyes (laughs) opened wider than normal. And he writes as follows, Those blithely predicting the breakup of Europe... And the euro would do well to understand that we are witnessing the apotheosis. Now, I don't know about you, but I have this book on Kindle, so I had to highlight it to find out exactly what apotheosis meant. I had an idea, but what it means, rather, in the apotheosis is the elevation of someone to divine status. Very interesting. Very interesting. So he he says, we are witnessing the apotheosis of a project 
first began 1,200 years ago. What's he mean? What happened 12 years ago? Some of you who know your history remember a man named Charlemagne. Charlemagne was crowned by the Pope, I believe it was 800 A.D., and he was a very progressive individual and emperor of Europe. And so, uh, again, this is what is being referred to. Of a project first begun 1,200 years ago. In this book, I just want to give you two quotes at the beginning of this chapter. One of them is this. But there is another message I want to tell you. The European Central Bank is ready to do whatever it takes to preserve the euro. And believe me, it will be enough. And that was written or stated by Mario Draghi. You might have heard his, uh, his name before, the president of the European Central Bank. Another uh, gentleman, his name is Wolfgang Schäuble. He's not Chinese, okay? Wolfgang Schäuble, he's actually the German minister of finance. He says, or he said, no crisis, no crisis, Europe doesn't move. So they're expecting crises, brethren. They really are. Many years ago, and actually the 90s, my wife and I had an, an opportunity to visit Belgium for the feast. I believe it was, I don't know, maybe it was 1998 or thereabouts. I'm not exactly certain. And we also had the opportunity during the feast to go and visit a city called Aachen, A-A-C-H-E-N, in Germany. And, and Aachen is relatively close to the border, I believe it's of Belgium, but fairly close to the border. And Aachen is where Charlemagne lived. Charlemagne lived. Uh, he lived there. I believe he died 813, 814 A.D. And in this city called Aachen is a cathedral. And it's 1,200 years old, by the way, roughly 1,200 years old. And this Charlemagne, this is where he resided. And this is where, from where he reigned in, in that city. And uh, he was crowned on a, on a throne uh, a seat which still exists there. And I was in that uh, cathedral, and I was walking through the cathedral, and I was adjacent next to a, uh, a party of people who were being given the tour by, by a tour guide. And the, um, and the tour guide, I, heard him, uh, I overheard him say uh, to the people, he says, you see that throne over there? That's where Charlemagne was crowned, where he was coronated. That's where the next emperor of Europe is going to be crowned. Of course, my my ears. So some people know, you know, the elite of Europe, some of those, they they know what is coming, what they want uh, to to come about, brethren, in, in this world. So, brethren, we are living in momentous times. And this world is in chaos. You know, the world, it seems, goes from crises to crises, from crises to crises, crises. This is the way of this world. You know, one wonders what will next week bring forth. So again, momentous events, brethren, on the horizon, and they are occurring even now. So we ought to pay attention, uh, as we all, I'm sure we do. You know, Christ tells us to watch. Watch in many ways. Watch our spiritual condition. Watch the, the things that are occurring in this world and the meaning of things. And uh, so it's important that we do that type of thing and certainly be uh, aware of the events that are occurring in Europe. And there are events, big-time events occurring in Europe. So, again, momentous times, brethren. 
But what momentous event primarily are you looking forward to? I'd like you to turn to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to go to verse verses. I never tell you until I get there, because I don't want you to get there before I do. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 to 11. Let's just read these verses here. Very powerful verses. Paul says, and Paul, of course, wrote this letter to the Philippians. First of all, he starts talking or stating in verse 7 about his former life and what he had in his former life, his position as a Pharisee. And he says, what things were gained to me. He grew up a Pharisee, was raised that, he was educated the Pharisee. These I have counted loss for Christ, for the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's going to do and what he's done for me. This is essentially what Paul is saying. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, that I may gain the knowledge of who he is and what God is doing and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is absolutely worthless, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ or the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Then it says in verse 10, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. This is the momentous event, brethren, that he was looking forward to. He spoke of things to occur. He, he stated things prophetically in, his, in, in many of his letters. But the, the momentous event in his life was the power of his resurrection, of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Then he says in verse 11, If by any means... I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So this was important to Paul, brethren, that he may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What about us? Is that prominent? Is this important to you? Is it important to me? Do we look forward to that time? Are we pressing into it, in a sense? Pressing into it, looking forward to it. Is it our focus? Is it our hope? The event we all are looking forward to, brethren, is indeed the first resurrection. Let's go also to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you're very familiar with these scriptures here. Of course, we, we read them often. 1 Thessalonians 4, just before Timothy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I noticed this sermonette individual, and by the way, that was an excellent sermonette. I was really, um, I learned a lot from that sermonette. I, I really did. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, I noticed you didn't drink your water, so I'm going to drink it possibly along the way. First Thessalonians 4, brethren, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Paul is basically saying ignorant, ignorant means you just don't know. He says, I don't want you to be in a condition or a state of not knowing. 
concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And there are a lot of people who, who have no hope in this world, brethren. People die. They're, they're concerned about their relatives. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That's an iron-clad promise for us, for all of us, for all Christians. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, this is not from Paul, this is from the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So Paul is talking about a resurrection here. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What a hope we have, brethren. What a tremendous hope. And then what are we supposed to do with that knowledge? What does Paul tell us to do? Next verse. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So hopefully we are doing that. We are collectively looking forward, brethren, to the tremendous resurrection ahead. So despite the bad news that exists in this world, brethren, and there's much of that, true Christians have incredible hope. We really do. Real hope. You know, we see farther ahead than the world because God has called us, not because we're better. You know, we're, we're no different. We have the same nature as everyone in this world. Uh, the difference is that God is replacing our nature with his nature. He is transforming us, okay? So God gets all the glory. You know, anytime we produce fruit in our life, it's not because of us. It's because of God in us. So God always gets the credit and the glory for, for, for what we, how we grow and how we develop. You know, Mr. Lecoq gave a sermon, I believe it was yesterday. All days are blending together, and I can't remember who said what, when. But anyway, he, he stated the following. I thought this was, uh, uh, at least to my mind, quite profound. He says, the world is preparing for the end of the world. Remember that statement? He says, the, the, the world is preparing for the end of the world, and we are preparing for the world to come. I love that statement. I'm going to borrow it <laughs> a number of times. I, I really will. It's a, I think it's an excellent statement. And God's Feast of Tabernacles, brethren, gives us the awareness of our hope, and it gives us the awareness of our future. And that future, brethren, is very bright for all tr- Christians. It reveals to true Christians why we don't fear death as, as others do. You know, two prominent individuals in God's word, and David and, and Job, others as well, but they spoke about the condition of death. Let's go to two scriptures, one in Psalms, Psalm 17 and verse 15. What is stated here is, is, is written also... Let me make sure. Psalm 17 and verse 15. I think I said Psalm 7. Psalm 17 and, and verse 15. Let me get to Psalms. Psalm 17 and verse 15. What is written here is 
is also inscribed on my my brother's my younger brother's uh, tombstone. Who actually he died in the uh, mid roughly the mid 70s, and he was in God's church, a very converted individual. And but what David says here, as for me, as for me, David says, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Do you think David knew of a resurrection, brethren? Do you think he did? Of course he did. Okay, the same hope that we all have. David looked forward to that. Let's also look at Job 14. You know, Job was a man who went through pretty stressful times, difficult times. You know, Job didn't know what was really happening. You know, we are aware of what happened right from the beginning when Satan started being involved in Job's life, right? But God knew what was going on. But, uh, but Job didn't know. But Job had this focus for sure. He says, if a man dies, Job 14, verse 14, if a man dies, shall he live again? He says, all the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. It's a good scripture to tie in with, with Psalms and, of course, 1 Corinthians 15 and others. You know, the brethren, the traditional thinking of many of the Christian religion is that upon death we go to our reward. And, of course, they try to extract this understanding from various uh, scriptures that are in God's word. One of the famous ones or or favorite ones, I guess, is uh, uh, John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions without fully understanding what, what that means. So, again, this is the thinking that if you don't accept uh, Christ in, in this life, if you do, you go to the mansions, your mansion in the sky, or else you go to a, a burning hellfire, doomed to a hellfire burning forever and ever and ever. Even little babies, little children. I used to hear that type of statement from religious leaders when I was growing up. No hope, brethren, no hope. And, of course, Satan continues in a sense, to popularize this lie. Because what are the words that you hear on construction sites? Well, I'm not going to repeat them, and nor should we, nor should we even think those words. But the, the word hell is commonly used. They're, they're telling their fellow workers to do that, right? You know, to go somewhere. Okay, so he, Satan can constantly popularizes this idea. But we, brethren, of course, know different, don't we? Of course, the Bible... God's word speaks of a number of resurrections, actually three. And the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, we won't go there, but it speaks of an order of resurrection. And, and brethren, the, the resurrection that we should focus on, you know, is the first resurrection. We also focus on, in a sense, the second resurrection, although we won't be a part of that, not likely. Uh, and, and, uh, but again, the first resurrection is, is our hope, as described by Paul and various other writers in the New Testament. And hopefully this is the resurrection, brethren, that you and I will attain at the last trump, again spoken about by Paul. And you know, brethren, there is incredible value of being a part of the first resurrection. More value than we realize. And, uh, and that's an understatement. I really believe that. The title of my sermon today is Momentous Time Ahead. Momentous Times Ahead. Basically, brethren, what happens at, the, at that time? 
of the first resurrection. We're going to go to some familiar scriptures to start off. 1 Corinthians 15. It's always good to lay a base. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Ministers of God often read this area of scripture during funeral situations. And it's very encouraging, brethren. Very encouraging. And very deep, really, what's said here. People, many people don't understand the scripture. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? The government of God will consist of spirit beings. Nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. See, it's a mystery to most in this world. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is what David says. He looked forward to his change to come. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. Now, brethren, let's go to another scripture found in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Another statement that was made, by the way, uh, in the sermon yesterday was, the seventh millennium belongs to God, or something to that effect. And we are going to be with Jesus Christ during that seventh millennium. It's, it's, it's wonderful to contemplate. Revelation, uh, pardon me, uh, Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse, verse 35. Hebrews 11 and verse 35. We're breaking into a, a thought here. And Paul is des- describing and talking about and relating to us uh, men and women of old who are willing to die for the faith, so to speak. And he says there were women in verse 35. They received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Then it says that they might obtain a better resurrection, which means, of course, there's more than one resurrection, right? There's a better one. There's got to be at least two. And, of course, we know, brethren, that there are three. We know that there are three. Now, also, also let's go over to the book of Daniel. Actually, let's just uh, put down Daniel 12, 12, because Daniel... Uh, was told that blessed is he who comes to the 1,335 days. And the 1,335 days, 1,260 days, 1,290 days, they all culminate into what? In, at, at what time? The first resurrection, the return of Jesus Christ. And again, the context of that area of Scripture is the resurrection and the return of Christ. So the point is, brethren, the resurrection will provide blessing and opportunity beyond our ability right now to fully comprehend it. It will. And, it, and, it, and it, we, will, we will see that in the, in, as, as the years go by when, when we attain that resurrection. Now, the Apostle Paul, brethren, in verse, 1 Corinthians verse 9, let's go there quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, chapter 9, I should say. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He, he talked about running a race, and Corinth was where the Ithmian games were held 
at that time. So the people were very familiar with uh, prizes and garlands given as a result of individuals running races at that time. Uh, Corinth was a fairly large city. If you look at the, uh, some of the commentaries and the history of, of, of Corinth, actually Corinth, the, the city that Paul was familiar with, was, was relatively new because uh, it had been rebuilt. And it was a city, some say, of upwards of 500,000 people. So a substantially uh, large city as far as population is, uh, was, was concerned. But Paul talked about running a race. And he says, we all run. Uh, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize, again, using, using the situation of, of running a, in a race, a physical race, is temperate. In all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. And therefore, I like that word, therefore, in light of what I just said, okay, how do we run? Not with uncertainty. And thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Then he says in verse 27, and this is something we all have to be doing, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. When I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So there's a heavy weight of responsibility on the Apostle Paul, as there should be on all of us, brethren, because we are to be lights to this world. Okay? So we have to, again, be responsible in how we conduct our lives. Now let's also look, brethren, at James chapter 1 and verse 12. So, so Paul was saying that we're going to receive, receive a crown. We will receive something that is incorruptible. Now, what does James say? The book of James. James chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And just quickly, let's go over to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. Coming to realize, brethren, the value of the first resurrection. And it's something that God's people have always looked forward to, down through the ages, even from righteous Abel. Right? Righteous Abel. And Enoch and, and others, of course, Abraham and the fathers, etc. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. This is verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 8. Yet indeed I also can all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. We read that. Let's jump down to uh, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Now, we haven't reached you know, that resurrection, that, that change of state yet. But one thing I do, one thing I do, Paul says, I forget those things which are behind. You know, Paul could have dwelt on his past life of persecuting the church. He didn't do that. He recognized it. He moved on. He, he, it, it, became, it didn't become a hitching post. It became a stepping stone to be something different and better. 
And he, he, so he, what he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. This is the mind, brethren, that we must have. Let's look at, in this sermon, four tremendous blessings attached to the first resurrection. These blessings, that, brethren, that are in store for us if we are part of the first resurrection and if we remain faithful right to the end. And hopefully, with these four points, 45 minutes, that's about whatever that is, four into 45, 10, 11 minutes per point. We'll see. Let's look at four blessings, brethren, for today. And the first point is this. We will go from physical state to spiritual state. Now, you understand what that's all about, right? In other words, brethren, we will have a perfect body, a perfect body. Many of you would like to have, you know, a better body than you have. You know, you have aches and pains and such. Of course, many brethren, people in this world, uh, go to great extremes to try to obtain or have, maintain their physical bodies, as they would like to hope, a perfect body. And that is their focus. Uh, people are more focused on the physical than the spiritual, okay? And so they will, they, they will uh, do all sorts of things. And, uh, but again, many people try to maintain their youthful appearance. And we can think of movie stars and, and others who try to do that. And, but the fact is, each and every one of us, we are heading down the same road, right? Uh, we all get older. Uh, we all get, uh, to a degree, wrinkled and crinkled, okay? Just like the potato chip, all right? That, that, that happens, and uh, that's just, just the way it is. Some of us suffer from disease and, and injury, and we realize how physical we are. And, of course, with these conditions and situations that we have, it reduces, obviously, the, the joy of, of a living to an extent, although, as Paul says, we should be content in whatever state we find ourselves in, because we have that focus. We have that, you know, we have hopefully that drive we can look ahead. So, of course, brethren, what it amounts to is death is inevitable for all, no matter how we try otherwise, right? We can go through all sorts of steps and programs and this and that. It's not, not that we ought not to try to maintain ourselves physically, uh, Dr. Winnell gave an excellent sermon on uh, our bodies are the, uh, are, uh, are the temple of God's spirit. So we should be aware of that. And we should try to maintain our bodies that, that God has given us. But brethren, to go from mortal to immortal, you know, we really can't imagine that, can we? But try, in a sense, to imagine what it means. You know, new bodies, free from the usual Physical limitations. I know Mr. Arsenault and others here, uh, no doubt you anoint. Uh, I, I try to figure out how many people I anoint in a, a month, uh, just for, for an average, I don't know, maybe 20, 25, and maybe there's some anointed cloths that go out, uh, maybe a little less than that, I'm not sure. Some weeks are more than, than others. Uh, you know, some people find it very difficult to walk. They have arthritis in their knees or wherever it might be. Uh, you know, some people would like to be a lot healthier than they are. Some people have eating disorders. You know, there's gluten intolerance. 
and uh, I, I wouldn't, won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet there are a number of you here that have that issue. And there are other things, too. So, brethren, what we're talking about is things which are a part of the physical reality. Okay? We are physical. We are mortal, just the way it is. But we will experience another reality as we have never experienced before because we will be sons of the resurrection. This is what the Bible says. And that life that we will experience will be extremely fulfilling. And our bodies will be like Christ. In fact, the Bible says we will see him as he is. Just jot down 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. And he who has that hope in him, what do we do, as it says there? We purify ourselves. That should keep us going. That should keep us driven. Let's also look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Do you ever get tired? You may be tired now. Isaiah 40. Well, what about God? What's God's existence like? Does God ever tire? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at verse 28. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. So it's no doubt who we're talking about here. Where am I? Neither faints nor is weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. But he never gets tired. He's never weary. And brethren, that's going to be the state we will find ourselves in. We will never tire. We will never get weary. You know, it says also in Hebrews 13:8. just jot this down. You know that scripture, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ and the God the Father have energy all the time. They never slumber. They never sleep. They, they, they have spirit and energy. As, as human beings, brethren, we, we need our sleep. Uh, I don't know about you, but then again, I do know about you. If we don't get our sleep, we feel drained, don't we? We need our sleep. Well, God never slumbers. He never sleeps. If you get up at 3 in the morning a.m. and uh, want to get down on your knees to pray, do you think God is sleeping? Do you think God puts your prayer on hold that you will retrieve it later on? God hears us at all times. So again, brethren, our energy will never be depleted. You know, after last night, you know, some of us, our, our energy is depleted somewhat, right? And it's not my normal routine to dance. I, I love dancing. I, I, I dance with my two daughters and and my wife last night, and I think someone else here as well. And so that's enjoyable. But brethren, as spirit beings, we will not have the conditions that we have today as as human beings. Also, do you realize that we will be as Christ in, in the sense that we will be able to traverse the universe at the speed of thought, okay, the speed of thought. Um, you know, light is too slow, right, too slow. Uh, light uh, travels at a speed of 186,000 miles a second in the course of a year. That's roughly 6 trillion miles or 9, uh, nine trillion kilometers. Okay, <laughs> but, but light is too slow. Right? We'll be able to travel at the speed of thought. We will have the universe and God's creation in total at our disposal, you, you, could, you could say. We'll be able to comprehend 
the awesome size, brethren, and the magnitude and the glory and the beauty of the universe, of the physical realm, yet we'll be able also to appreciate the small atom and DNA. We'll be able to do all those things as, as God does now. And again, brethren, we will be able to traverse, as I said, with our bodies in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This is what we'll be able to do. Can you imagine that? You know, brethren, right now our bodies, and God has designed us this way, that we are stimulated by five senses, right? Five senses. And and what are those, in case I forget them? I don't think I would, but I'll just say them. Hearing, taste, smell, and touch, and sight. And with those senses, brethren, you know, with our eyesight, we see beautiful things. We see beautiful things around. You know, uh, mankind has besmirched God's creation, He's, he's affected it in a negative way, but there's still beautiful things. We we're flying over PEI, and even in Ottawa here, the, the beauty of a fall season, the colors are just magnificent, and God has designed that, it that way. He allows us to see in color. Can you imagine if God designed us that we only saw in black and white? Right? And we wouldn't need all these colors of suits and tie because you see black and white. So God has given us the ability to, to, to see in color. He's also given us the, uh, the ability to hear, to hear beautiful music. These children on the stage, well done. Uh, the, the special music that uh, I've heard here, as well as in PEI, well done. So God has given us the, the ability to hear, that, that sense of hearing. Uh, God has given us the, uh, the means to, to smell pleasing aromas. How many of you have been in a, in a flower shop and the aromas just rise up into your nostrils? Or you smell a rose? God has given us that ability as human beings. Also to taste delicious foods, okay? And so, again, God has done that. To listen to pleasurable sounds and good music and such things as that. Uh, These are wonderful things, brother. Be able to touch. You know, my my newest granddaughter, uh, her name is Tessa. She's just about two weeks old. And uh, so when she was born, soon after she was born, I went to the hospital. Uh, to see her. My wife was already down there. So I went to the hospital and I held that little child in my arms and I held her little hand, right? That's very pleasurable, very pleasurable. So God has given us a sense of touch, the sense of touch. He's done all those things uh, for us. So God does all those things, brother. God can do all those things, but he can do even so much more than that, uh, like, we, like we can't do. He can see the tiniest cell, the tiniest cell to the greatest of galaxies up close, right? We see things through telescopes, and, and God sees them up close. But can you imagine having spiritual senses energized that way after the first resurrection? It's hard to imagine. Hard to imagine, brethren. You know, the Bible also says that Christ said in Matthew 22, just jot this down, we will be as the angels. We will be spirit, neither male nor female. And at that point, we will achieve the state of being born again. We are begotten. We have God's spirit in us right now, that seed that is in us. You know, Christ, when he appeared to his disciples, remember, after his crucifixion, he appeared to them they were standing in a room, and he appeared to them in the midst of them, right? He, he manifested himself so he could be seen by them. He went through doors. You know, nothing physical will cause us 
you know, difficulty in, in that sense. Let's look at the bottom line, Psalm 16, verse 7 to 11. Matthew, uh, yes, sorry, Psalm 16, verses 7 to 11. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Psalm 16, verse 7. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. David had such an incredible relationship with God, brother, and he really did. And therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in shoal. A prophecy certainly about Christ, uh, in a sense, but it applies to us as well. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence. And here's the point. In your presence is fullness of joy. And that's what God is offering us, brethren, fullness of joy. And the wonderful thing about it, God says in his word, it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's my good pleasure. So we will go from physical state, brethren, to spiritual state at the resurrection, and we will experience pleasures forevermore. Now, if that doesn't whet your appetite, let's try this. We will have fully the mind of God. Fully the mind of God. Right now we have God's mind in measure, don't we? According to the God's spirit in us. And God's spirit, brethren, right now, if we are converted, if we are seeking God, God is leading us, he's changing us, we are his workmanship, he's molding us, he's fashioning us. And that in itself is is wonderful to contemplate. And as humans, God has blessed us immensely. You know, our minds are a masterpiece of God's creation. You know, elephants and donkeys and all the other aspects of God's creation, they don't have the mind that we have. You know, we have what's called a spirit in man. And we are very unique from the other aspects of God's creation. But even with God's spirit, brethren, which is only available when God calls us and grants us the gift of repentance and gives us his Holy Spirit, granting us repentance, being baptized and obeying him, we are still bombarded, aren't we? Still bombarded by our natures. And it's a battle that goes on. Ephesians 6 talks about that battle, that spiritual battle that goes on. You know, if Satan was physical, we might be able to deal with him, right? But he's spirit. He's spirit. So there's a battle going on. And we are at times, brethren, at wit's end, aren't we, trying to figure out what to do in various situations in life. You know, parents raising their children in this world is not easy. You know, we raised our children uh, uh, starting in the 70s, the mid, mid, the latter part of the 70s, and, uh, well, we're still raising them in a certain way, not really. But uh, not not really. They are all, they are always your children. I don't care how old they are, right? And uh, and the the connection is different as they get older. But uh, certainly, you know, sometimes during the situations in life that life presents, you know, sometimes you just don't know what to do, right? And and you ask God for His guidance and wisdom, and more often than not, God does give us guidance and and, and wisdom. 
But our minds are not yet perfect, brethren. And Satan does go about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he bombards us with the fruits of the flesh, right? With the fruits of the flesh. And not only to the degree that we display the fruits of the Spirit are we able to, you know, be in a situation where he flees from us, okay? So this is the reality that we find ourselves in. But wouldn't it be nice and wonderful to exhibit perfect character, perfect wisdom in all things, and never to give in to your flesh? Of course, we won't be flesh at that time. But what an existence, brethren, having the mind of God in full. And we do have it in part. In fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit, as Paul told Timothy, is that we are to have a sound mind, have a sound mind. Well, brethren, once we put on immortality and we are rid of our corruptible body and mind, then we will have fully the mind of God. And of course, we will not sin anymore. We will have perfect character. Can you imagine having a perfect mind as God Almighty? who has the ability to experience what he experiences, the secrets of the universe, and also to be able to answer the many unquestions, uh, many unanswered questions about your life, about creation itself. Do you have any questions? Do you have your bucket list of questions built up, maybe, to ask God in the future? You know, what does this mean? You know, why did I have to go through this? You know, why did Tommy die, or whatever it might be, right? We, we have questions still unanswered, but they will be answered. They will be answered. We will be able to know at that time. And not having the answers to many of life's questions, brethren, is the reality of the human existence. So we will know in greater detail and clarity as to why even God called you. Why did God call me? Why not another member of the family, you could say, of of our families, you know, maybe your brother or your sister was smarter, brighter, you know, more capable, et cetera, et cetera, and, uh, you know, talented, okay? But, again, God has those answers. And, and of course, we know the, some of the stock answers, which are good answers, that God calls the weak of the world. You know, we are individually a challenge to God. Well, not really. God, it's up to the challenge, okay? But, uh, again, God chose us. What about remembering? What about remembering? You know, God has a perfect mind. God remembers all things. There's nothing hidden that shall not be revealed, as the Bible says. Do you have a perfect memory? Memory? Uh, do you have a problem remembering things at times? I don't. Ask my wife. I have a. I, sometimes I'm heading downstairs to get something. I get down the basement. I'm saying, well, why, why did I come down here? Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe, maybe younger people have that as well. I, I, I'm not sure. But, brethren, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. Can you imagine having that kind of mind? Right now, I have a problem remembering the names of my grandchildren. And when my children were growing up, uh, we had three daughters, and sometimes I'd be saying, Gina, Jennifer, Sarah, Gina, Je- I couldn't get them straight. And by the time they, uh, they were out of the room, right? Uh, so, again, that was just <laughs> the way it is. But God, brethren, can remember all things. And when he names things, okay, he doesn't forget. Let's look at Psalm 147, verse 4. Psalm 147 and verse 4. 
Psalm 147 and verse 4. I think I have the right scripture here. Yes. He counts the number of the stars. You know, man is at a, um, at, at a disadvantage in trying to figure out how many stars are in the universe. And they usually say within a billion or 10 billion or 100 billion, right? <laughs> They're not exactly sure. But God counts the number of the stars. And not only that, brethren, he counts them all by name. Now, that, now that's mind power. That's ability that you and I, we don't have. You know, God even knows, according to his word, when a sparrow falls, right? And if he desires, he can know right now how many hairs are on your head. With some of us, that's not too difficult, okay? Okay? He, he knows that. He knows that. That's his mind. And this is the mind we will have, brethren, as, as a result of being recipients of the first resurrection, and our minds will be filled with wisdom, filled with godly wisdom. We will have the mind of Christ in full. You know, Solomon's wisdom was the type of the type of the wisdom that we will have in the kingdom of God. We will have all the ability to make right decisions and with the right application of God's law. And again, it's hard to comprehend that existence. And we will be able to evaluate situations and make proper decisions. And we will judge with equity as Christ will be judging with equity. We'll be fair, firm but fair. Okay, firm but fair. And right now, brethren, we cannot do that fully. We wish we could. We would hope we could, but we can't. And we feel limited at times. I wouldn't even mind the, 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 the wisdom of Solomon. Remember my, uh, my mother used to say, I wish I had the wisdom of Solomon, right? And uh, we all would like to have that wisdom. And God gave him special wisdom. There's no doubt about that. And again, brethren, sometimes we, we don't know what to do in various situations. And we are at a loss at times knowing how to comfort individuals, how to comfort individuals. We just don't know what to say. Frankly, sometimes it's best not to say anything, right? Silence is golden in many aspects, in many respects. Sometimes people need us just to be there. Again, but God will enhance our ability to comfort. Uh, the beginning of the millennium, brethren, it'll be a time of a great sorrow in, in many respects. At times when people's lives, uh, their, their families will be broken, their homes will be broken, and they will not have any hope. And we will have to give them a sense of hope. We will be there to comfort them and guide them with the wisdom that God now has, and to be righteous in judgment, and again, as I said, fair and equitable in all things. And in the kingdom of God, brethren, we just won't supervise people. We won't just supervise people. We will engage them for their spiritual growth. We will engage them for their spiritual growth. This is what a good teacher does, even in this world. She or he engages her students, their students. This is what a good teacher does. Well, we'll be doing that as well. Right now, brethren, children are victims in this world in many, in many ways. You know, the children of, uh, of Iraq, some of them are taken as slaves. I won't go into detail, but that's sad. That is sad, and those people are going to have 
a lot to answer for in, in the future that do the, that type of thing. So this is another value, brethren, of the first resurrection, to have fully the mind of God, the wisdom of God, to do all these things and even more. Number three, deeply, deep fulfilling and happy relationships. Deep fulfilling and happy relationships. Much of the happiness of human beings comes about as a result of good, wholesome, meaningful relationships. That can occur with wife, spouse, uh, your spouse, your, your children, friends, God's people. Uh, there's, there's positive relationship here. We can sense that because God's spirit is here. So we want that from everyone that we come into contact with. Again, as I mentioned, spouse, children, and friends. Of course, what, what causes relationship breakdown? Break well, it's sin, basically. It's sin which causes relationship breakdown. That's, that's what can cause a relationship breakdown with God unless sins are repented of, right? Your sins have kept, uh, God says, uh, me, uh, me, me, you from me type situation as he describes in his words. And our tongues go a long way, brethren, of course, to negatively affect those relationships. And let's be honest, that is the case. Sometimes we are not patient with our loved ones. I think sometimes, you know, men in particular have to work on that, being patient with their loved ones. And that includes wife and that includes children and other people as well. And uh, sometimes we have to be very aware of who we are. Uh, Sometimes fathers can be too hard on their children, okay? They can be too hard on their children and sometimes too hard uh, on their wife, you know. And, uh, and, And the Bible speaks about not provoking your children to wrath. How can that be done? How can we provoke our children to wrath? Well, certainly by not setting a right example, right? By being hypocritical. Sometimes there's verbal abuse that goes on. That can happen. That can happen. Sometimes a lack of encouragement. A lack of encouragement can cause that. Too harsh and overly strict. I, I call it the the sound of music approach. Remember the father? And all these kids came and, or I don't know whether they saluted or not, right? Salute? I'm not sure whether he required that or not. But again, brethren, we can't be that way at all. As was said in the sermonette, we are to be caretakers of the children that God has given us. And notice it says care. You know, we're, we are responsible to raise our children up. Not push them up, to raise our children up in the admonition of God. Brethren, they have to see their parents and experience their parents as a source of love and encouragement and an example. And sometimes being calm and firm. You can, be, you can be firm and calm at the same time. You know, our decibel level doesn't have to be 150. You can be calm and you can be firm. Very important that we do that. Again, there's all, all kinds of scriptures in God's word relative to, relative to that approach, and even with each other. You know, in a marriage, of course, as we know, we, we look at Ephesians 5, it's a type of a relationship that exists between Christ and the church. You know, does the husband 
love and respect and honor his wife? Does the wife respect her husband? Okay, it's a two-way street, I realize. But does the husband recognize his wife as the weaker vessel? Not in mind. She could be very capable, maybe more capable than us in some ways. I depend on my wife in certain areas that I know she'll have a better answer than I would. But Paul says we ought to love our wives as Christ loved the church. You've heard of the saying that if is the is the biggest word in the English language. Well, in this context, as uh, rivals it as well, right? We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. question we have to ask ourselves, brethren, is our marriage relationship, and this can apply to both, is our marriage relationship Christ-like or self-like? Is our marriage relationship Christ-like or self-like? We all have to ask that question. And even, brethren, when we know the Bible answers, sometimes it does not always translate into situations that could be described as Christ-like. I know that. I recognize that. So we struggle, don't we, at times with the human relationship situation. And sometimes relationships are not that fulfilling because we seek our own will and not the good of others. Okay? That happens. The human condition, brethren, is sprinkled with problems of blame gaming, fair weather friending, backbiting, gossip, distrust, and sometimes separation. Okay? That happens in this life. And what does God say about all this to Christians? Let's go to the book of James quickly. Uh, Book of James, because I don't have much time left. Book of James, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 7 to 10 and verse 15 to 16. I'll start reading here. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. That's pretty understandable what that verse is saying. And then, brethren, let's continue. But no man can tame the tongue, right? He can't tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. <laughs> James is very blunt here. Uh, with it, we bless our God and Father. You know, we, 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 we pray with the same tongue. And then it says, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. We should be very careful, you know, how we talk to each other and even to people in this world, right? We're to be lights in a darkened world. Hopefully we are lights in in how we speak and talk to others. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Is that right? Might ought not to be so. Okay, close. Does a spring forth? uh, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can you a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no greater. Yields both salt water, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And then in verse 15, that wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Uh, self, it's all about the self. So, brethren, James here is speaking to Christians. So we face the, the dilemma of our human condition, but of course, as we put on the mind of God more fully, 
those relationships that we have and those interactions that we have with our fellow human beings and fellow brethren are certainly improved. The Bible says we must overcome and we must be on the road to becoming more like Jesus Christ. And this is, of course, why we have to seek God daily, right? It's not a once-a-week affair. It's not a once-a-week relationship. We have to seek God daily in his prayer and in, in, in prayer and read his word and study his word. See, God speaks to us through his word. We become aware of what God is like through his word, is what we have to do. But a spirit-filled children of God, brethren, at the resurrection, we will, will not be under the curse of this human situation we find ourselves in. With sin eliminated, with a spirit-life condition, we won't be under our, uh, that curse, and our relationships will flourish. They will truly flourish. They really will. And we will have a oneness with God. Remember how Christ in John 17 talked about the oneness that he had with his Father? And he prayed the oneness that he had with his Father would also be extended to, to those whom God called. And we will have a oneness with God at that time, brethren. And this oneness that we will have, brethren, with God, that will be the glue of deep and eternal relationships in, in the government of God, the family, and the kingdom of God. Number four, the blessings of the first resurrection will never end. Never end. Have you ever been on vacation say, oh, I wish this would never end? What happens? They always end, Right? most everything in life comes to an end uh, or gets lost or corrodes. I remember way back when I, I mentioned this to especially the Toronto church, uh, maybe a few times in the course of the years, uh, that uh, one of my favorite toys growing up was a slinky toy. Remember, you know, anyone know what a slinky is, slinky toy? Yeah, goes down stairs like that. I thought, I thought, wow, when I got that, that was, that was fantastic. But I don't know where that slinky toy is. It's probably uh, in the Toyota out in the lot somewhere, you know, the, the steel from that slinky toy. I, I don't know. Uh, I remember as a boy having a, a, a table hockey game. I loved playing table hockey. You know, you know I, I just enjoyed that. I, I played with my brothers, and I don't know where that table hockey is. The game is. It's, it's gone. It's gone the way of all table hockey games, I guess. Uh, I, I remember I used to have marbles. I could be careful how I say this. I lost my marbles even as well, right? Okay. So the point is, brother, we lose things. They corrode. Our, our shoes get holes in them. Our socks get holes in them. I, I open up the sock drawer. I mean, my wife is very careful about this, but uh, but I put the socks on. There are holes in those socks. And, of course, that's the way it is. So I change socks. So, uh, But our homes deteriorate, don't they? And unless Jesus Christ comes, brethren... And, and uh, we're, we're going to die because that's just the way it is. This is simply life and reality. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, I'll just read it here, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So life is transient, brethren, and life is very vain. It really is. As humans, we grasp at fleeting moments of pleasure and sometimes get down or sometimes even to the state of depression when it's over. And, of course, oftentimes we're thinking of only the self in the process, right? 
instead of uh, helping to make give someone else a good time, we're thinking about our good time, right? And that's that's not the way of give. So we grasp at those fleeting moments in life. And when we die, all accomplishments, in a sense, are swept away and sometimes never remembered again. Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about this in Ecclesiastes 1, verses 9 to 11. Things are remembered no more. Do you remember what famous event occurred in 1821, June the 4th? No. I just made that date up, so there may not be a... Of course. The point is, brethren, things are forgotten. Things fade away. They really do. Memories die. But brethren, with us and the promises that God has given us, you see, death is going to be conquered. Right now we are begotten children of God, and we are awaiting the resurrection and our change yet to come. This has to be our focus. This has to be our prime focus. And we will be given eternal life as members of God's very family. Our life and existence will never end, and our accomplishments of service throughout eternity will be remembered. Okay? They will be remembered. And we will be referred to as as the servants of the Most High God and Jesus Christ in the kingdom and in the government of God that will never end. Read Isaiah 9 to find that out. You see, brethren, the future is very bright for us, literally, literally, uh, for those who will attain that resurrection. So are you and I reaching forward? Are we doing that, brethren? And keeping our minds on the things which are above. This is the admonishment that's constant through God's word. Keeping our mind on things that are above. Are we doing the will of God daily? Hopefully we are. Hopefully that's our focus. It is vitally important, brethren, for all of us not to get caught up. And it's so easy to do that in our own sensitivities and offenses where we begin to lose sight of what our hope is all about, our calling and opportunity, brethren, to attain that first resurrection. You know, we want to attain our crown, don't we, just as Paul did. You know, we don't want any person or anything or any situation to dissuade us from that hope. Uh, again, it come, come as a result of wrong attitudes. And again, as Christ said, the cares of this life. The stakes are very high, brother. They really are. So hopefully you've been seeing a sampling of why this resurrection, the first resurrection, why it is a better one, brethren. We don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't. And I'm sure you don't as well. So are we pressing forward? Are we doing that and into it? Are you looking forward to this absolutely momentous event in your life? At the feast in PEI, a gentleman performed special music. His his name is Mr. Fogg, actually. I I think it's F-O-G-G. And he sang a song about David. And uh, David, David, of course, is going to be king. Uh, over Israel in the kingdom of God. David, of course, was king over Israel as a physical human being. And he talked about David in, 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 the, in the song, about David was a shepherd boy, and David did ordinary things. He did ordinary things. Yet he didn't realize fully, I guess, as maybe we don't realize fully what God has in store for us. And uh, you may think that your life is ordinary. And in certain ways, it's ordinary for each and every one of us. But one line 
And the lyrics of this song says the following. Make us kings and priests, I would add. Make us kings, even though our lives now consists of ordinary things. This is what God has in store for us, brethren. Our lives in God's kingdom, his government, will be anything but ordinary. Anything but ordinary. So let's continue, brethren. Let's continue to reach forward. Let's finish with one last scripture in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. You've read this scripture many times. It's actually a quote from the Old Testament. I believe the book of Isaiah, if I'm not mistaken. Let's check my margin here. Yes, Isaiah 64, verse 4. So Paul wrote this. See, Paul read Isaiah a lot. Christ read Isaiah a lot. Christ quoted from Isaiah a lot when he preached on this earth. And it says here, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man, and certainly without a calling, they have no inkling, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And you could add to those who attain the first resurrection. Brethren, let's be truly, truly thankful for this wonderful knowledge and encouragement that is found in God's word. Encouragement brethren, about the first resurrection. Rejoice in this knowledge as you continue to observe this wonderful Feast of Tabernacles.